The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Empower yourself and get inspired to build the life of your dreams. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Dr. Drayvon James and this is Everyday Peace. I am so super excited to be here with you today as we explore the concept of living a life of peace every day. Peace defined as wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. My goodness, I want you to just, if you can right now, Close your eyes. Take a deep inhale through the nose, through the mouth. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that you push that belly straight forward and you fill it up with air all the way up into your chest. Just get really full of air. Hold for just a second. Then exhale all the way, pushing that belly button all the way back towards the spine so we get a deep, deep, deep exhale. Let it all out. And know this about you is that You deserve everyday peace. Everyday peace is possible. And yes, you can have peace every day. We work together on this show to bring you the topics and the guests that partner with you as you create your life of peace every day. And I want to say this. I want to add this word to that that phrase. As you consciously create your life of peace every day. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that uh, in our everyday peace moment, but I wanna just throw that little word in there consciously. So if you missed last week's interview, you missed the fabulous Lakita Carroll, a therapeutic and mental health coach with over 20 years of experience. Lakita gave us real everyday strategies to help parents rebuild and enjoy their relationships with their teenagers you know that's valuable information. She talked about her extremely helpful therapy coaching called Parents Train Up, equipping parents to empower their teenagers. This was a very impactful show. In fact, we're gonna have her back on because she had so much more information. It was really 
kind of stuff that just made a light bulb go off in your head like oh yeah that makes such good sense the information was very practical and it's so much needed in today's society so i encourage you to go back and get all those tips not if they're not for you um if, if you're the grandparent get them for your children if you're the aunt and uncle get them for your for your siblings this information was very valuable you can access this show and in fact you can access our entire library of shows by subscribing to the Dr. Drayvon James Everyday Peace Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can also listen to our shows, archives of our shows, on the unityonlineradio.org website. Another great place, and I highly encourage you to visit this place, is on our new and improved website. Everyday Peace content can be found on our new and improved website and that website is www.drdrdravonjames.com so www.drdrdravonjames.com on that website you can find um, our history of our show archive shows you can also find information to some of the questions that you guys email me i love getting your emails but I love it when you visit my website too. So it's a win-win situation for all of us. But you'll find transcripts from past shows. You'll find words of wisdoms there. You'll find encouragement. You'll find excerpts from my book. You'll get contact information for those of you who are reaching out. I wanna thank you all for the big um, showing and uh, encouragement and all your positive feedback on our latest coaching program, Leaders in High Heels. Thank you for that. You can, um, you can, if you want more information about Leaders in High Heels, go right to the website www.drdravonjames.com enter in your question right there and comment and we will be sure to get back to you as soon as possible so um, you can get to us that way you also have free courses there uh, so you want to check that out bookmark that website visit it often so that you can be in the know as you are a very valuable honorary member of um, everyday peace we call you everyday peacemaker that's what we all are, everyday peacemakers. Well, I mentioned, and I I'll keep mentioning that we are over halfway through 2021. And um, those of you who are regular listeners know that our anthem for 2021 is, what are we waiting for? And by now, and we know the answer is, we are not waiting for anything. We know that now, today, is the day to take action on the life of our dreams. And we have wonderful guests that we bring on to the show to help us, to spur us into action, to get the creative juices going. And today is no exception. We have two wonderful guests today. Uh, we have Karen Warner will be with us today, providing us with tips on how caregivers can prioritize their own mental health. We also have Vanessa Sasson with us today. She'll be sharing her uh, evocative story of the Buddha from the perspective of an forgotten woman, Yosara, the Buddha's wife. So we're going to, we rarely hear about the Buddha's wife, right? We hear about the Buddha, but she's going to give us a refreshing perspective on that. But before we get to our guests, we're going to talk a bit about our everyday peace moment. And I want you to know that as I, as I come to you on the week during the radio program, my heart is so full because there's so many other things we could be doing with our time, but we take this time to gather together as everyday peacemakers to strengthen ourselves, to encourage ourselves, to learn so that we can go out into the world and serve at a higher level. 
in order to be that person, in order to do that. We know that we've got to fill ourselves up. We've got to consciously be aware of how we are using our internal tools so that we can have a positive impact on the external world. So we're talking about the idea, and we've been focusing on this theme for the last few shows, the idea of living our living our best life requires that we're in this moment. And to do that, we've, be, we've got to be able to let go of the things that are strangling us and keeping down our creativity and keeping us immobilized. We've got to be able to let those things go. And we're talking about some ways to do that. So just a quick recap for our last two shows. We said we have to make the active decision to not take anything personally. And that's one of the four agreements, you guys. We know we've talked about that book in the past. We've got to stay, number two, we've got to stay tuned into this moment so we don't miss the magic that is occurring in this moment. I assure you, whether this is the best day of your life or this is one of those days that you could do without, there is magic occurring in this moment. Become hyper-focused on this moment so that you do not miss the magic that's happening in this moment. And number three is that we need to let go of the belief that we are not enough. Just let it go. You know how that happens in our life. We start that little self-doubt. Well, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. And before you get know it, we've talked ourselves into a whole whirlwind of not good enough. Right now in this moment, let us each make the decision. It is a decision to say that I know enough in this moment. I know everything I need to know in this moment to make the next decision on my pathway, on my journey to my ultimate good. So letting go of the belief that you're not enough is a conscious decision. Making that conscious decision, making a decision is making a conscious decision, being aware, choosing one thing over another. Our everyday peace moment today is to consciously choose to believe that you are enough because you are. So with that, we'll head right into our first guest of the day. And our first guest is Karen Warner. Karen plunged into the role of caregiver in addition to being a mother, a wife, a business consultant and owner. Karen was forced to add another role to her set. She brings a level of brevity to the role that family members are forced to play when a loved one suddenly falls ill. She will be here today sharing with us tips on how caregivers can prioritize their own mental health. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here. Oh, I'm excited for you to be here as well, because what I know for sure is that um, as as we live longer, right, and as we are so busy, you know, multitasking and all of this stuff, the likelihood that at some point in our life, we will become somebody's caregiver is pretty high. So I think this information that you're sharing with us today is very timely, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the matter and your tips. So um, t- before we get started, uh, we don't have a lot of time, but just give us a brief story about how you came to be this caregiver, how you came to, to, to embrace that role as a caregiver. Well, um, sadly, my late husband, we were you know, just really figuring things out and kids were launched and everything was really going well for us. And we took a great vacation and celebrated my birthday. And um, 
everything, we had just a wonderful summer and everything was great. And then I was traveling for business and I got a call in the middle of the night and he said, you know, I've had this kind of nagging back pain. I went to the ER and they just diagnosed me with stage four metastatic cancer. So we literally went from happy, 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 everything is really finally, you know, we got it all together to, oh my, what do we do with this? And it joined, we joined together and we um, sought as much treatment and the best treatment that we could find and we were tireless. But in the time that he got that sudden diagnosis, I became a sudden caregiver, which is the, the name of the book that I ended up writing about this experience. Wow. And I, I can imagine that took a toll on you. And, I, and what's not missed on me is what you said, when you finally got it all together, here you are faced with this challenge. And it was just one of the many hats that you had to wear there. And give us the name of the wonderful book that you've written again. Oh, thank you. It's called The Sudden Caregiver. And it's a roadmap for resilient caregiving. And it, it's on Amazon. I have a website called The Sudden Caregiver. You can also get to it through there. Um, but it, I wrote it because caregiving is difficult, but I also wanted to share how to build resilience as a caregiver and have a practice of resilience because it's not all bad. And um, that's what the research says. But I found other research and lived experiences that I share in my book. And I love the fact that you're talking about the sudden caregiver because they're just something like that. Getting that diagnosis all of a sudden really is a game changer for the entire families, not only for the patient, but for the entire family. So when you get something sort of out of the blue like that, and you haven't really had a chance to adjust to things and you need to make decisions quickly and programs and you know, in the way you do things need to change. How how um, do you ditch the guilt of taking you know, time away from it. You're you're in this role as, and, and I love it's a sudden caregiver role. So you're 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 thrown into this. No training, no 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 time to mentally prepare prepare for this, and you're thrown into this. How do you get some time away, and how do you how do you just get some time to process? In fact, I had a coaching client earlier today who just said this exact thing to me. I need 30 days to myself. How do you, well, how do, you, how do you get any time to yourself? Without feeling guilty. It is, you have, I, it's, it's a little bit of what you said as you were opening your program, which is we have to live in the present and um, we have to look at what's possible. Uh, caregivers are known. The research says about 50% of caregivers reject help. They want to do it all by themselves. And so the first thing is, to find your people, circle the wagons, and find the people that will support you as a caregiver. Uh, that will at least put you in a position of being able to take that time for yourself. And then the second is take the time. It is, it is hard to walk away. It is hard to ask for help. It is hard to walk away from a list a mile long of what you need to get done, but when you Put it on your calendar, make a date with yourself, find ways to either take small breaks during the course of your caregiving day, which I highly recommend. That's part of my um, my resilience builders in my book. But also to uh, build in 
longer-term things, if you wanted to take a little vacation. I don't know about taking 30 days. I understand the instinct for it. But um, but to really be able to build that into what you're doing and the people that are surrounding you who can help you. I love going to a support network, getting finding out who you have in your tribe that can do that can help and pitch in. And I think sometimes um, just getting a couple of hours away can be beneficial. So, and, and also can be very difficult to do when you're the primary yeah. caretaker, right? So very, very difficult to do. Yeah. But I think what I hear you saying, and I know I agree with, is that you have to take care of yourself before you really can authentically take care of someone else. You've got to meet those self-care needs. And that time away, no matter how small, is important to recharge that battery. Yeah. So, and it's not easy. I just want to make sure that I acknowledge for the caregivers in your audience, it's not easy to do. So in my book, I talk about just sort of entering the garden of resilience, like put yourself into a new place in your own heart and soul where you're walking into, okay, I am going to build my own practice of resilience, just like you know, if you decide you're going to work out or get fit or run a marathon or play a musical instrument, you've got to find a way to practice that. It's not going to just happen. And I think what I, my biggest message is it is possible to get there, but you're not going to get there if you're just constantly allowing yourself to go under the wheels of um, your caregiving situation. Oh, I love that piece of advice. It's going to take practice. You know, you're going to have to you're going to have to try and do what you consider to be failure a few times. That's okay. It's the trying that matters, right? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's so very important. So, um, when you're taking care, when you're thrust into the role of, of sudden caregiver, one of the th- one of the things that I know seems to be important is that you are able to get everything organized and maybe your life wasn't that organized before maybe your processes were not <laughs> in place before but if, they, if, if if there's ever a time where they where they need to be in place it's when you're trying to wear so many hats and one of those hats is being a caregiver for someone how what, what advice would you have for people about getting their place just their environment in order I'm laughing at you because I, that is not my strength. I am not the most organized person in the world. I always say I have a thin veneer placed over. People looking at me think I'm organized, but I'm, I'm really, uh, I really work at it. Um, but that's where I really started my book because what I started with was this idea of a roadmap that you're going through a process with the, the care receiver that takes place over time. Some people, very short period of time. For me, we had 18 months. We were hoping for five years. Some people who are caregivers of, you know, parents who are aging or, or who have Alzheimer's or some form of dementia, that's a long haul. And so what, what I have suggested, I, where I started at the center of my book is a roadmap and it spells the word care. And it's, you know, you go from crisis suddenly in this situation to as normal as possible. And that you're trying to stretch out for as long as you possibly can. And then there's some resolution. Sometimes people go into remission. They move forward back into their, their regularly scheduled lives. Sometimes, as in my case, 
the situation resolves with the I, I lost my husband. And then there's an evolutionary evolution point, which is evolving out of the role of caregiver. And each of those phases has a series of very practical things that you can consider, like what are the ways to be organized? So one of the first things I did, which I recommend every time someone calls me and says, hey, I just became a caregiver, I created a binder, and this was my Bible. And because I knew that we would have family members and and other friends coming in and helping, and so we kept, I just thought, I don't want to be the person that loses the receipt or loses the prescription. Not everything is online. So I literally put a binder together. I have a, a colleague, he, he cares for his mother, his aging mother, and he says, I have a black briefcase for Mondays, that's mom day, and I have a brown briefcase, that's all my business work. So some one person I spoke to keeps a shoebox. But whatever your preferred um, place to gather information, everything went into that book. And then when we had a doctor appointment, we would just grab that binder and take it with us, knowing that anything we needed to would be in the binder. Oh, that is such a great idea. That way it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all together. Grab and go. One book. Yeah, I, I love it. So we're talking about self-care and, and the way that the the care provider can really care for themselves. And I mentioned that someone said, you know, I need 30 days away. And we know that sometimes that's not oftentimes you know, two weeks away can be a problem. 30 days can be almost impossible. But what would you recommend mm-hmm. that a caregiver do in order to um, in order to feel as though that they were valued today, you know, in that day? Well, to take care of yourself, it is, again, very difficult to do. And I don't take it lightly, but I do go back to things your mom told you when you were going into kindergarten. So when you're suddenly becoming a, a person detached from your family out in the world, uh, there's eat you know, eat your vegetables, go outside and play, get some some fresh air, walk in nature, see the blue and the green of what's outside. Uh, that's a very restorative thing. You don't have to go for a run, but just being out in nature, even no matter what the weather is. Um, finding a little bit of every day to take some quiet time for yourself. And in the last year with COVID, this has been extremely difficult to do because you can't just run out to a therapy appointment. Your therapy appointment is probably going to be, you know, upstairs in the attic in a corner where no one can hear you um, while you're trying to, while everyone else is working from home. So it's been, um, it's been a, a challenge for people to get that quiet time, but just find a little ritual for yourself that's maybe 15 minutes long. Call a friend or have a cup of tea. I always have a cup of coffee at 3 o'clock every day. That's just my thing. And um, and I really tried to allow myself to stick with that. Other things are like do a crossword puzzle, just small breaks. And there is research that says that when you take these small mini breaks for yourself, 15 minutes to an hour, you will actually get that back in energy that's been depleted. So there's a there's a nice recycling of your energy if you can do that. And then trust your own resilience that sometimes we just don't believe we are resilient or resilience isn't going to work, but 
we all have deep reservoirs inside ourselves that maybe haven't been tested until you become a caregiver. And it's this ability to reframe something from the glass is half empty to the glass is half full. And those things take effort, but those are some of the things that I, I would share with people to just allow. One other thing, if I, what your mother would also tell you is get, get enough sleep. And that was so difficult. In a good day, that's hard for me, but as a caregiver, it was extremely challenging. And there are some really great um, apps out there now for, that are very meditative, like when you were saying to take a, or breathe in and breathe out. There's an app called Calm, C-A-L-M, mm -hmm. which yes. is really uh, is very helpful to sort of let go of the day, put the day down, and allow yourself to be where you are. Oh, I love those tips. And before I want to go, before I go back and recap one of my favorite tips, which teaches us some life lessons in there, I would love for you to tell our listening audience how to connect with you because you are an executive coach and you do other coaching as well. How they can connect with you, how they can get the book again through Amazon. Um, okay, sure. So I have a website called thesuddencaregiver.com, www.thesuddencaregiver.com. And I, my, Email address is on there, but that is KWS as in Sam, S as in Schuler, my last name, KWS at thesuddencaregiver.com. Um, the book is on Amazon. If you just Google, type in The Sudden Caregiver, it comes up. I also have on my website some, some of the things I've been talking about are there free for downloads. So you just uh, click on the link on my homepage and you will get I have a graphic called, it's an infographic called Pathways to Wellbeing that kind of talks about some of the things I just talked about. The roadmap is also out there and it's easily, it's free, just download it. Those are, there are 53 million caregivers in the world, in the United States, excuse me, many more in the world. And we, I just want to reach as many as I can with as much help as I can give people. Oh, I love that. And you said something that I really want to, everything you said here has been so helpful. But the, this one particular thing just really like landed on my heart, started playing a little song in there. It was the, to trust your own resilience. Listen mm -hmm. to your body. I wrote here, listen to your body when you said that, because you said, you know, you're going to discover some things about you that you may not have ever discovered if you weren't tested in this way. My goodness, the truth in that, right, is that yeah. everything, and this is a philosophy that's a, a principle that I teach in my philosophy everyday piece, that everything that happens, the good, the bad, and the in-between, happens for one reason, and that is to bow down and serve you as you consciously make the decision to strive to your next level of greatness. And even in this, this, this is a moment that none of us wishes for, but will touch so many of our lives that we end up having to care for a loved one. And, you know, you may not feel like you're prepared, but in that moment, in that moment, learning to listen is so very important. And I really enjoy the information that you've shared here with us, Karen. Please reach out. The book is amazing. You are amazing. Thank you for being a guest on Everyday Peace. Thank you so much, Dr. Drayvon James. It was wonderful to talk to you.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Create and build the life of your dreams. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Welcome back to Everyday Peace. I'm Dr. Drayvon James. This is Everyday Peace, and I am so excited for our next guest. Vanessa Sasson is here to discuss her book. Now, I'm going to say this right. I, I'm going to say <laughs> Yasodara. I know I probably said it wrong. Yasodara um, and the Buddha. And this, we all know about the Buddha. We we know the Buddha that's no stranger to us, but you may not know the name that I just butchered, Yasodara. Uh, <laughs> but, Vanessa, but Vanessa brings a new and refreshing feminist perspective on the life of um, the Buddha through the, through the story of his wife. And so with no further ado, I, I'm excited for this topic, Vanessa. Welcome to our show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here and to be able to share this with you. Yes. I mean, you know, I until we talked briefly yesterday and we've had this introduction and I've been reading a little bit about your materials, we we forget about the person behind the person. We forget about all those people that have to stand up behind somebody else, whether it's yeah. a male or a woman. That it, it really does take a village to do everything. Although the spotlight may only shine on one person, there's a whole village there. So today I'm excited about what you're going to talk to us about and set us up just a little bit about, give us a little history for those who do not know the Buddha and then tell us the story as much as you can and, and about your beautiful book. Oh, with pleasure. Um, so I'm a scholar of the Buddhist tradition and I have been studying this material for a long time. The story of the Buddha, um, most of us are familiar with the general outlines is that he was a prince and one day he saw suffering and he was overwhelmed and he left home uh, to go on this spiritual quest to find the answer to suffering was really kind of his bold, grandiose move is he wanted to figure out if there was a way to solve the problem of suffering. And even more so, he wanted to solve the problem of suffering that is illness and death and the suffering that comes from every aspect of the human experience. I was, I was just listening to your previous caller who was talking about the suffering and trying to care for ourselves as we care for others who suffer this way. So it's very much aligned with what your previous caller was talking about. Um, and so this is his quest and he goes off and he achieves it according to the Buddhist legends is that he goes into the forest and he contemplates and he eventually comes to this very profound realization of how to rid ourselves of inner suffering. And that becomes the whole Buddhist story. But what I became really interested in was that until he made that journey, what was his life like until he made that departure? It's known as this great departure of the worldly life to become a spiritual kind of hero or whatever term you want to use. And the stories, if you read the ancient text, What's so amazing is they give you a really rich, beautiful, luscious, colorful picture of his world in India 2,500 years ago that was with big palaces and lotus ponds filled with different colored lotuses and, you know, gold and pearls hanging from, you know, everywhere. Like, it's just such a luscious, elaborate, beautiful world. 
And he is, like what you were just saying, so surrounded, not just with the beautiful material things of this world, but also with a really vibrant family and with people who loved him. And amongst those people, each one of the characters in his life, as you start to pay attention to them, they become really interesting characters to think about. The one that I wanted to think about, for probably many projecting reasons, is the wife, is the woman that he was married and what to married to. And what was so moving was to realize, I started digging into the, the sources, is that she's not just kind of a character that's there in the background, you know, he's married to kind of check off a list, okay, he had a wife. When you start looking at the research a little bit more, um, and there's this kind of writing that Buddhists do that's called the Jatakas, where they not only tell stories of this life, but they also tell stories of past lives. So Indian storytelling is really cyclical and stretches into all directions. It's not just you're born and you die, but there's what happened before you were born, and there's even stories of what happens after you die. Like, it's very rich. And so there's all these stories of the Buddha in his past lives, having all of these adventures until he becomes ready for his last life and is ready to be the prince. And so when we tell the story of him being the prince, we're actually at the end of a very long story. It's not the beginning. And so when you look at those past stories, you find that in so many of those past lives, the literature describes him as being married to the same woman. And this made me just, (laughs) I just kind of swooned, is that I realized there's something deeply romantic here and quite beautiful, that the Buddha and Yashodara were married lifetime after lifetime. So she's not just a character that's there to check off a list. She's there lifetime after lifetime, a kind of multi-life partner, which we don't have any equivalent for in Western storytelling, right? We don't tell stories that way in the West. So this is, to me, like, you know, abundance of romance, but I'm a very romantic person. So I read this as being just really very beautiful. And I imagine them just kind of carrying through one line. And, you know, sometimes they're born as elephants and sometimes they're lions and they have all these different adventures in all of their past lives, but they're together. And so they carry each other through lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. And then after all of these texts and all of these stories, you finally get to the last life. And what the literature tells us is that, again, they take their rebirth together so that they go into their final rebirth at the same time. And so they're born on the same day at the same moment. So you, you, like, it's kind of like this great cosmic traveling story, right? Like you really have to imagine huge lapses of time, and they're just going through it together. And it's not just her. He goes through it with all kinds of characters. So going back to your point of like the individualism and that there's all these other people around us, he has all these other people around him for lifetimes. He doesn't go the journey alone. But we tell the story, we focus on the one great hero who gets the stage, who gets the throne. But he only managed to get on that throne because all these other people were surrounding him and having this kind of interconnected web of relationships with him and with each other that culminated in him being able to do this. So the individualism is like a a terrible myth, right? Uh, Certainly from the Buddhist perspective. So she's going from lifetime to lifetime with him. And then they take their rebirth and they're reborn in this great kingdom that's luscious and beautiful with palaces and great gardens filled with lotus flowers. And she's right there. 
And that's the story that I wanted to talk about. Oh, I love the setup. Beautifully set up. So, I mean, beautiful. I'm I'm drawn in like I need a bucket of popcorn or or a hot cocoa or something like that to sit there and hear. Totally so don't get some popcorn. I could talk about this for hours. Right. So we're here and it was just it was just beautifully done. So we're here. And isn't that amazing that that you would have a partner that would choose you? I'm I'm in my romantic mind. I'm believing that they choose each other lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. Isn't that beautiful? And so here we are. And so what happens? We have. Okay, um, so now they're they're born in the palace or like in the same kingdom. He's born in the palace. She's not, obviously, but she's his cousin. So they're still like linked, right? They're always kind of tied to each other. And again, it's not just her. He's tied to all kinds of other people. And their stories are also in those past lives. And they're, so they're all kind of moving through time together. No one moves through time alone, right? And so they finally arrive and he's reborn in his palace. And the story is, that the king is very concerned about his child because he needs to know, like, that his son is going to be a king. He needs his son to take up the family business, right? He needs his son to be a king. And there's, like, some rumors that this is a special kid. And so he calls in the astrologers, which people still do today in India, and have them read his astrological chart to find out what's his future. And when the astrologers look at the chart, they have a problem, and they see two possibilities they don't see a clear direction and the two possibilities are either that he will become a great king just like his father wants and you know rule with justice and everyone will know peace and everything will be abundant and wonderful or he will become a great religious teacher the kind that no one has seen in 10,000 years now the king hears this news and he is very concerned because he cannot have the prince become a religious wanderer right? This is just not how it's supposed to go. So he makes a decision. He knows that the one thing that makes us contemplative is if we engage with suffering. If we don't experience suffering, we can just enjoy the material world, right? Because it seems like enough. We have enough with the material world. But it's when the material world disappoints us that we start to wonder, okay, maybe there's something else. Maybe I need to be paying attention to something more. And so the king makes this radical decision that his son will see no suffering, no difficulty, will have everything that he wants, whenever he wants, forever. And he shuts down the palace and puts him in a bubble and doesn't let him see suffering. Eventually, so the the prince, the future Buddha, is raised this way in his palace. And eventually, the king thinks, okay, now it's time to get him married. And the prince doesn't seem to be very interested in getting married because he's that future Buddha is inside of him. And so they decide to do something. This is an amazing thing that I found in the literature. I couldn't believe it the first time I read it because it's not how Buddhism tends to be presented. They do a Cinderella move and they call all the maidens of the land to come and present themselves to him. And so all the lovely ladies of the land come and present themselves in front of the great prince. And he gives them a gift to each one but he's not interested. And then coming in late, the last in loan, and I love that she was the last and that she was late, she comes charging into the palace, and it's Yashodara. And he sees her, and obviously it's going to be her. And so again, we have this sense of their connection, and he has no more jewels to give her, no more gifts, because the casket is empty, and so he takes off one of his own jewels, and he hands it to her. And this is his way of saying, I choose you. 
And so we really have in this story this a sense of love and connection and relationship that's important um, to the Buddhist story. And so they're chosen, and there's a lot more details, and I could talk about this for hours, but I'm going to try to stay mindful of the time. Um, they get married, and she moves into the palace that is a little bubble, and you think it's a happily ever after experience. But of course it's not going to be. Do I keep going, or do you want to? <laughs> I should just keep talking. We have a caller on the line who is probably just okay. captivated. Okay, one, let me get this caller. Okay. Hello, you're on the air with Everyday Peace. I'm Dr. Drayvon James. Did you have a comment or question for our wonderful guest today? Yes, I have a question. I love I love this story, and so I wanted to know. So when the when they got married and then they had a child, I was doing a little research here, and so but I'm sure you can fill it out for me. So when the prince left for to discover his enlightenment, so is that how the process works? He just like he just left his wife and child. Yes because it was time to be enlightened? That's how that works? <laughs> That's an amazing question. Um, That's what really got me wanting to write the book, is that here's this amazing story of this amazing heroic character who goes and achieves awakening. But to do it, he is going to walk away from everything. And what he walks away from is his wife. The story gets pretty bad, because there's this wonderful romantic story of the two of them being bound and being together, and they have this beautiful wedding ceremony, and it's just so happily ever after. But he still has that quest inside of him. It can't be extinguished, even with a great love. This is what's so troubling about the Buddha's life story. It's a paradoxical, it's a complicated story, right? And so it's not that he was a monk all his life. He wasn't. He loved her, and he had a world, and he had... And it was a wonderful world with the best of all possible things. And then the problem is that one day, so here's the next part of the story, is he manages to, no, but hold it, because it's exactly going to where you want us to go, is he manages to escape the palace and goes out with his chariot driver, and he sees four things, and these completely overwhelm him. And so the first thing he sees is an old man, The second he sees is sickness, so he sees someone very, very ill. The third is a corpse, right? And so he's like being, and these things are described as the gods kind of putting them in his path. Like it's time for him to become the Buddha. And so they're, it's a magical story, right? And so they're carrying him through an experience Mm -hmm. so he can be ready. And so he sees old age, sickness, and death. And then he sees one last thing. He sees a monk. And when he sees the monk, He's so overwhelmed by the monk's face and the calm and the beauty of his face that he thinks to himself, well, if I'm destined to old age, sickness, and death, I also will be destined to become a monk. Right? Like, if this is true, then that has to be true. And he comes back to the palace utterly shaken. Right? And so, and, and like, we've all had moments like this where we have a kind of bubble and then something pierces through it and you can never go back to what you understood before, right? Like mm-hmm. if something has happened, the thing is that according to the source, this is where the literature is so sophisticated because the storytellers of Buddhism don't give you a kind of straightforward heroic narrative. They give you something complicated and messy. And so what they tell you is that while he was out seeing old age, sickness, and death, she was in the throes of labor. And so mm-hmm. she is giving birth in the palace facing 
sickness and death and also aging and all of it. Right? She's, she's going through the throes of violence and of the fears of the impermanence of the body, which was very dangerous in those days to give birth, while he's contemplating it. And so you have a sense of their parallel lives. She's oh, experiencing wow. it, right. and he's seeing it. And he comes mm. back to the palace, and he has made his decision. He can't stay any longer. And she has a newborn, right? And so you have these very different lives and yet very parallel lives, and he comes back, and he knows he cannot do this anymore. He can't be married. He cannot be a father. He cannot be a king. He has something else. He, need, he needs to find the way out of suffering, and it's an overwhelming need to do this, and it's a need that, has been, that he's been carrying for lifetimes, according to the story, and yet it's going to cause him to devastate everyone. And so he comes back to the palace, and he, in one version of the story, he sees, he goes to her room, and she's asleep in the bed with her newborn son in her arms. And the text says that he stands on the threshold. He doesn't even step in. He won't step into the room. And he thinks to himself, if I touch my son, which he wants to do, I will wake her up, and then I won't be able to leave. Wow. And so he doesn't wake her up, and he turns around and he walks away. Mm-hmm. It is such a devastating, upsetting story, and also so deeply human, of just this moment where you know, if I go down this road, I am making a mess of a hundred things, but I have to go down this road. And if I wow. go down the other road, the mess is equally disastrous. If he doesn't become a Buddha, it's a disaster, because it is who he is. He has to become the Buddha. It is written in the stars. But if he becomes the Buddha, he disappoints his wife. He disappoints his son. He disappoints his father, the kingdom, the throne, the subjects. Everyone is going to be upset for what he does. And what is genius about the literature is that they leave it like that. They don't fix it for you. They give you a really difficult situation And you have to live with it because that's how life goes. We don't get cleaned up stories of our lives. We get mess (laughs) all the time. If I do this, I don't do that. There's a cost to everything that we do. So it's not so much if you get enlightened, you have to leave your child. This is how it played out for him, and it's devastating. Wow. Does that kind of answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I have a million other questions, but I know this is fascinating to me. <laughs> but I know Dr. James has to end her show. Um, but wow, wow. Yeah, and we have time for for one more question. We we've got a little time left. Oh, I'd love so to my question is: Did he know that he was destined to be the Buddha before he got married? Oh, that's such a good question. Also. Um, it depends on the sources you read, right? But if then, this is 2,500-year-old literature, and there's so much uh-huh. of it. Um, so it depends which text you look at. But in some of the texts, uh-huh. he knows. And in other of the texts, it doesn't look like he does. And so it depends. Okay. Again, it's giving you that complexity all the time. And so the questions you're asking are the kinds of questions that Buddhists ask all the time as they wrestle with these stories, right? And they try to wow. figure out how to live with the story, engage with it, be inspired by it, model it, but then you don't quite want to model it because you're walking away from your family, right? So it's just it's just having to live with a difficult story. Oh, wow. 
Oh, Dr. Jamie, she, this is such a great guest. Oh my gosh, I'm, I want to read it. I want to. I want to do. I want to read about this now because this is fascinating to me. Fascinating. Oh, I'm so glad I am you're enjoying it. So glad that <laughs> yes, you enjoyed it. And thank, thank, thank you for being an everyday peacemaker. Your energy makes all the difference. Thank you. Bye bye. Yeah. So, and I have to agree with the caller that um, this story is so fascinating. It's. It is. Um, you know, you come to that fork in the road, right? And there, it's, you can't judge the, the decision made, but as you and I were talking a little bit yesterday, I, when you were, we were talking, I said, I think about Martin Luther King and, you know, yeah. him making, making a decision to serve the world. And I think of Coretta Scott King and the children, and he's always right. away and, and his work led to his assassination and, and which took his life so quickly. You know, and but the benefit, but also the sacrifice. That's it. And the sacrifice, right. you have to know it. You have to see it. You have to honor the sacrifice. You have to know that it did hurt. Right? You can't just wash over it. It's it's a it's an injustice to all the other characters in the story, and it's an injustice to the true experience of being alive. Right? We can't lie like that and pretend everything's fine. Right. They, for his for Martin Luther King's family, it, I am sure it was extremely difficult and we can't pretend it wasn't. But that's also how the story has to go. Right. And so it's, it's so appropriate that we honor those who willingly or, 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 or by force um, are, are in the shadows in, in 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 a bucket of tears, if you will, for yeah. the greater good for the greater good. You know? Beautiful. Yes. And honor the difficulty of the choice for the hero. Yes. Right? That it's that life's just difficult. <laughs> I think it's just kind of the bottom line is life is hard. And everything we do that's important we have to really think about because we will still have to pay for it, even if it's great. Right. And it helps me. And I hope it helps our listeners because you are one, an awesome storyteller. I know I'm not the first person to say that, but it helps me also to see the humanness in everyone, right? What truly there is, they're just, they're just humans. We are just humans at our best, doing the best that we can, right? It helps me to live beyond, listening to the story, beyond, um, beyond blame. Because either way, either choice left something undone. Yes. Because we can't do it all, because we're just people. Yeah, right. And it connects us to our humanness. So hopefully, it takes us. Hopefully, hopefully, what this time together to for me today has done. And listen to you tell this story. Hope what it's done for me is help me to see as you're talking this the uselessness of criticism. Right. Mm. Because in in my and this is a beautiful story where, the you know, we, we all know the Buddha. We all know the, the wonderful work. And but on a small scale in my own life and in, in everyone's life, we're making these decisions always to choose this and to deny that, to choose this and to deny yeah. that. We do this all day long. I think for the only difference is that and we of course, I don't know, maybe you do you know. Um, 
he definitely suffered there at the doorway, making the decision to go and kiss his, have this affectionate moment with his child and risk having an encounter with his wife. So he, he, he risked that and he had to make that decision and he was aware of that decision. I think that is maybe the part that we miss sometimes when we're making our decisions is to stay in the now and to go ahead and, and feel those emotions. Maybe that's the part that made you, I don't know, maybe that's the part that made him more convicted to, to his work is that he stayed in that moment and he, and he felt with that, felt that pain and didn't try to brush yeah. it aside. I think that's beautiful. There's even a story, he, he gallops off into the sunset and he takes off on this fabulous horse and they're charging out of the, the gated palace and then he stops. And for one moment, he wants to look back at his home. And so he stops and he gets that back off his horse and he turns around and he looks and then he walks away. And it's, again, those tiny moments where he's like, I'm really doing this. And so you feel that there's that complication. He needs to look at it. Yes, he needs to look at it. Yeah. He needs, almost as if to me, it is to commit. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my, my, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I've been taken on this romantic journey somewhere. And of of course, let me just say, if I were the wife in that story, I, I, I know I'd be sitting in a pool of tears and wishing that the choice had been me. I don't know that I could have been so uh, so giving. <laughs> you know, we have this new baby and... and um, Oh, she wasn't giving. She was furious. <laughs> oh, it was, she was good. <laughs> oh, she was furious. No, 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 no. That's the next part of the book. <laughs> there's more to the story. Wow. That's just one oh, part. Yes, there's a lot we're, more. We're, <laughs> tell our listening audience how to get this book. You don't want to miss this tale. This is beautiful. How, how oh, do thank you acquire you. the book? So the book is published by Bloomsbury, and you can easily get it off the Bloomsbury website, or you can get it on Amazon, or, I mean, it's available everywhere. It's called Yashodra and the Buddha. Um, and you can find out more about me. I have a website, um, Vanessa R. Sassnon. I put in the R, so otherwise I have too many S's in my name, so it's an easy thing to remember. So VanessaRSassnon.com. And you can email me through there. There's an email tab, and I'm very happy to talk to anybody who'd like to talk. Oh, thank you for being a fabulous guest. And for our listeners, thank you for being everyday peacemakers. We'll meet again next week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.